welcome everybody into the Monday edition of the show here on Sports 1140 KHTK. And yes, we are coming to you from Golden One Center because Kings basketball is back. How great is that? Sacramento Kings basketball. Yeah, it's preseason, but still we get to see the guys out there for their first bit of action. Looking forward to that tonight. G-Man will have the call and we will have it for you here on Sports 1140. All the games, preseason, regular season, and yes, hopefully postseason. Did he say it? How dare him? Well, we'll see. Long way to go before we get there, but Kings camp apparently has been very competitive. A lot of good battles going on, and that's what tonight is about for me, watching the Sacramento Kings. There's a lot of returning pieces. Um, We saw Davion Mitchell in the uh, summer and play very well. Just want to see how they all fit, how it's working, the three-guard lineup, Marvin Bagley, lots of questions. Not all get solved in one preseason game, but uh, tonight it's the Kings and the Suns, and certainly we are looking forward to that here today on KHDK. Normally, we would have Monday Night Football, and there's a very good Monday Night Football game tonight with the Raiders and the Chargers. You're going to be able to hear that on KYMX HD2. That's 96.1 HD2. You'll be able to hear Brent Musburger, Lincoln Kennedy today when that game gets going. So hopefully you'll get a chance to check that out while you're checking out Sacramento Kings preseason basketball. On this day, lots for us to get to. We go till 5.30, and then it'll be game night. Scott Marsh and the High Flyer, Henry Turner, back for game night for another season. We look forward to that, and then we'll have Kings Live pregame coming up at 6.30. The G-Man will be ready for the call tonight. So plenty for us to get to. Still the crossover as well at 5 o'clock. Jason Jones, who's covered this team for a long, long time, he will join us to give us some of the things we should be watching for in training camp, and now certainly with preseason starting with the four-game preseason schedule he will join us at five we've got a lot of baseball to discuss the season i thought might go till today we had potential for ultimate chaos didn't quite get that but we had a good weekend of baseball to set up for the final 10 the five in the american league the five in the national league we will break that down today as we have been doing on mondays we talk about who had the best and the worst weekend in the nfl and certainly there's several on each side of the list there uh, yeah, Niners, we'll, uh, we'll see where you fall in place there with that Seahawks game yesterday. We'll preview the Raiders and the Chargers and a lot to get to, but let's start you out as we always do with First Things First. First Things First. First Things First. All right, it's the Kings hosting Phoenix tonight, and uh, here's how hopefully it will sound. Now they lead it, 103.99. Let's see how the Kings respond. 2.45 to go. Buddy Heel crowded on the right wing. Only three in the clock. Has to reach around Rudy Gay and somehow, magically, mysteriously, unimaginably, he scores off glass. It's 103-102. Buddy Heel, how did he do that? Well, that was the G-Man last year, late in the season, the Kings and the Spurs here in this building. And one of the reasons why we selected that highlight here and uh, first things first is because, yeah, there will be fans here. It does look and feel a little bit closer to normal, whatever normal is these days. Um, We, for whatever it's worth for those of you that um, had heard about our broadcast setup in the past, we were kind of really spread out. We had plastic dividers spreading us uh, between G-Man and myself and Deuce and Henry and RJ, our engineer, like all of us were were spread out. We were being as safe as possible. Same things are still occurring. Uh, Obviously, to get in the game, you still have to be uh, either proof of vaccination or a negative test. Uh, we had to go through some of other kind of protocols here, but we're back in our regular location. It is business as usual, I guess, but it'll be great to have fans here, to see the team play, to 
see what they've been working on. And by all accounts, everybody was talking about defense. And, you know, this is the way most camps start. Uh, Optimism, intrigue. But collectively, the reaction that's been coming from camp, from the players, from players that have been around, has been very upbeat, very positive. The competition, the vibe. Uh, Some of the new players, what they've been able to bring to this team, someone like Tristan Thompson, who's an NBA champ, who I said when the Kings made the trade, I thought, I don't know that I'm in on this one. I didn't buy it. I didn't love it. Let's put it that way because I was a huge fan of DeLon Wright, and I thought, well, Tristan Thompson, how's he going to fit in here? Well, from media day on, he has been kind of that role of – an experienced veteran, but it's got lighthearted, good fun, uh, a supportive player, but then also working hard, trying to make this team tougher, trying to get this team to a place they haven't been in far too long. And the irony of it is tonight, again, preseason, we say this every year, it doesn't really matter if you win the preseason games at all. I mean, if you go 4-0, 0-4, whatever it looks like, in, it's what does it look like? How do they play? How do the lineups gel? Are they better defensively? But the irony of it, what I was saying was, you're playing a Phoenix team, that did just about the unthinkable, stuff that just doesn't happen in the NBA. They had a 10-year drought of making the playoffs, and the Phoenix Suns not only made the playoffs last year, you know what they did. They worked themselves all the way up to a two-seed, got through a couple of rounds, made it to the finals, and they were two wins away from winning an NBA championship. I mean, they truly had a dream season. And, yeah, I was jealous, envious, for sure. And it makes me think, man, what if – the Kings ever had a season like that. And I'm telling you, Kings fans, I know this to be true. If the Kings were to have a season like that, this town would be absolutely crazy. The years of frustration, the years of um, being upset about bad moves and choices and decisions that have been made, I don't know if they'd be all forgotten, but there would be so much joy in what they're watching, fans are watching on the court. And I would say I'd be a part of that. I miss it. This arena would love to see it, and I can tell you, I know personally, and I know it very well, my former partner Doug Christie, one of the many reasons why he's coaching. He feels he has unfinished business as a part of that coaching staff. And You know if you heard in any of our interviews over the summer talking to guys like Jay Will and Bobby Jackson and Chris Weber, they all feel like they're still hanging on to something that they weren't able to complete when they couldn't win the title in what, probably the best years were 02 and 03. And so we all know what it felt like, or at least those of you that remember it back then or experienced it. Some of you now are young enough and and never really saw that team, which shows how old the rest of us are. But maybe you've only witnessed Kings basketball the last 10 years, eight years, five years, and you've seen a lot of losses. Well, tonight doesn't cure all of that, but it's the first look at what this roster and the the way it's computed together, what it will look like, how they will play how they will be a factor together, and what will the coaching staff do? I know tonight the Kings, I guess Coach Walton said the other day, he's got his starting lineup ready to go, but not to read too much into that. I don't know if that's the game one starting lineup or not. We'll have to see what it is. But I feel like Fox is going to play a ton. Halliburton's going to play a lot. Uh, Holmes is going to play a lot. I I know he would like to use, you know, for shooting, but he healed somewhere in the mix. Davion Mitchell's got to get some run. Um, Marvin Bagley. And then where are those other bigs? Does Harkless get some time? Terrence Davis. These are like regular games we're talking about. How about Len and Thompson? Where do they fit in? So some of the things we'll we'll need to see, we will watch. And then the guys on the fringes of this roster, 
where can they fit in? What kind of impact can they have when we're talking about, you know, players like Lewis King, Jamezi Metu, Damian Jones, guys that can play, but will they get run at all on this roster? So things to watch tonight. Again, not all solved tonight by any means, but I'm glad it's back. And I, I know when I said last week, man, the Kings are going to be playing on Monday, it made me feel more and more about starting the NBA season in December around Christmas because, man, football just started. Baseball's wrapping up. But I tell you what, for us sports fans, this is a pretty sweet time because so much is going on right now. All right, let's get you more. First things first. First things first. First things first. first. All right, next up, we're going to wrap up week four tonight with the National Football League and Monday Night Football, the Chargers and the Raiders. Good snap, good hold. Jackpot, baby! The Raiders become the first team in history of the NFL to win their first three games against teams that all won at least 10 games the previous season. 31-28. Bring on the Chargers. Well, that was Brent Musburger last week. Yes, after the Raiders got off to that 3-0 start. Two overtime wins at home. They've got the win in between at Pittsburgh. And now they try to get to 4-0 and and get a division win against the Chargers. This is going to be a good matchup tonight. Love the quarterback play. Herbert and Carr. And the Raiders have gotten to this point because how well Derek Carr is playing. This offense has been sharp. After week one, when I think they found more of a balance to their offense and not just relying on Darren Waller, but they've been able to spread it around. Found a running game a week ago in Peyton Barber. And can they just keep adding on? And this is the parallel I gave last week as something I want to see the Kings do. The Raiders were so bad defensively the last couple of years, and they're better this year. Not great. They're not the best defense in the league. They just got better. They improved, whether that's with personnel, scheme, uh, changing defensive coordinators, whatever it might be. It's just better. And I, I think and defensive coaches around, they just have, have improved subtly and maybe more than subtly. And, and I think they're, what, 20th, 22nd like that defensively. So, again, not a top-tier defense, but they've improved to go with a very good offense. And tonight against a Charger team that is a little bit all over the board. And what I mean by that is they they found a way to win their first week. They probably should have won or could have won against the Cowboys, and then they got a great win against the Chiefs. So it's a team that's got to be confident. They have a coach in Coach Daly that I like that he coaches very aggressively. you got to love Herbert, but also the weapons. You know, that they're able to put out there. Keenan Allen has just been one of the most underrated receivers consistently for years. He's just a professional receiver and really good at it. Herbert's nice. Eckler, all the way down the line. You got Bosa rushing on the edge. You got some good defensive individual players, too. So this is a good matchup tonight. And one that I think um, if the Raiders can get through it to get to 4-0, man, how good would they feel? Obviously, it depends on how they look in this, but I imagine Carr would be spectacular again, and the offense would help them. And the Chargers always seem to be in every game. It's just, have, will they find a way to win it or not? They've been let down more times than not in the last couple of years, but last week they did prevail in a quality win against Kansas City. So good Monday night football game tonight to wrap up week four. Let's give you more first things first. First things first. First things first. All right, yesterday, the Niners and the Seahawks. We uh, left last week talking about the impact of the NFC West. They would be the showcase teams this weekend with the uh, Rams 
taken on the Cardinals. We know what the Cardinals did there. And then the 49ers against the Seahawks. And, uh, boy, the Niners have seen this guy do this too much. Here's Russell Wilson. Russell from the shotgun on second and nine. Tries to spin out of trouble. He does. Looks. He throws it near side. Reaching back, making a catch. Swain. Touchdown. Seahawks. I don't believe it. Russell Wilson, how did you do that? What's amazing to me is Russell Wilson and some of his teammates who have played for him, played with him for the length amount of time that they have, said that was one of the best plays they've ever seen him make. Russell Wilson was elusive. Russell Wilson, there wasn't anything he did that should surprise anyone. This is what he does. What has surprised me is the last two weeks that Seattle has been in close games and hasn't finished. This week, they did the opposite. I thought the 49ers, okay, there's there's lots of things we can get into, and we will in our next segment about the 49ers and their loss. Um, injuries certainly played a factor. Um, second half performance, you know, defensively kind of being let down in the second half. But I really felt that game was lost by the 49ers in the first half. What was it, five, the first five series? I think, yeah, it was the first five that Seattle went three and out. That game's 7 nothing. Yes, I know Robbie Gould got hurt, and Wisnowski missed that field goal. But that's just uh, – that game could have been 17, 24, 28, over. They could have ended it, and it was 7 nothing. You hold Russell Wilson in the seat. Like, it was like they couldn't figure out what they wanted to do. They couldn't crack the code. The Niners are getting all sorts of pressure, blowing up plays, bothering Wilson, five three-and-outs to start the game, and it's 7 nothing. you got to put them away. And the 49ers' inability to do that. And then, yes, the snowball happened. Gould getting hurt basically before the game. Then you had Kittle had a scary moment getting hurt, then coming back, then getting hurt again. You had Garoppolo, certainly his injury, then going to Trey Lance. And we'll get into that certainly at the bottom of the hour because I know a lot of Niner fans are, oh, here, good, it's Trey Lance time. And I'm one of them. I'm one of the people that really believes in Trey Lance. But as much as people don't want to believe that coaches know what they're doing, I firmly believe in this case that the Niners who invested all that draft capital to move up to get Trey Lance believe he's the future. But if they thought he was ready to go, they would have played him already. They would have. And Jimmy G, they felt, gives them their best chance to compete right now and in the immediate future. Well, out of circumstance, they're going to have to go to Trey Lance because Jimmy G left the game and who knows how long he'll be out. So the frustration there certainly for Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt again. You you will hear that later. Um, But missed opportunities early in the game. That was it. They had their chances early. And when you can take on a team like Seattle that had struggled the last two weeks to finish, comes into your place and doesn't have it figured out for the first five series, man, that's a game that it should have been stretched out more. And the Niners just didn't do that and left Seattle in it. And then all of a sudden they tied them, passed them, and then went way past them. And the Niners you know, rallied a bit, but it was too little too late. So San Francisco now has to figure out what they're doing health-wise going forward and what they're doing as they get ready for another tough matchup because the NFC West, I told you, was key last week. It's still key this week because the Rams on Thursday night play the Seahawks and the 49ers get a crack at right now one of the two undefeated teams, the Cardinals in Arizona. So I, I said on Friday it wouldn't be the end of the world if the 49ers lost, and it's not at 2-2, two and two, but a huge question mark now with all the injuries, which was already starting to pile up and now adding adding on even more makes you question a lot of things going on with the 49ers. All right, let's get you more. First things first. First things first. First things first. 
Well, I wanted chaos on the final day of the Major League Baseball season leading into more chaos for today. We didn't quite get that, but the dream season for the San Francisco Giants continued yesterday. 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. The regular season is over, and the San Francisco Giants have done what was said they could not do. They have beaten L.A. for the National League Western Division title. To do it at home, to beat the Padres, especially with a little drama losing on Saturday where it looked like they might secure it Saturday at home and be able to cruise in on Sunday. They didn't. The Dodgers pushed them all the way. The Dodgers went 8-2 and two in the last 10. So did the Giants. They didn't relinquish that lead. They win the division by a game. The Dodgers win 106 and come up short. The Giants win 107 games. What a year for the San Francisco Giants. I mean, this has been tremendous. And for them to know that the Dodgers have all this talent, they're the defending World Series champs, they're the team that adds Scherzer, and they can't catch you. I mean, that team is gritty and tough and knows they're good, and the Giants are good. But here's where we get to baseball now with the final 10. Giants are good enough to win the World Series. Dodgers are good enough to win the World Series. So a few other teams that I think are good enough to win the World Series. You can maybe make a case. I don't know if you can make a case for all 10, but if you're there, you got a shot, right? And the best part for me for the Giants was is the fact that they're avoiding the one-game situation. I think the Dodgers are so talented and so good. And for Max Muncy to get injured yesterday is a huge deal. And Kershaw getting banged up over the weekend may not be effective for the postseason. But the Giants can get their pitching staff set up the exact way they want to for the Dodgers or the Cardinals. They'll watch the Dodgers and Cardinals play. They know they're hosting whoever it is in games one, two, and then five if necessary. They'll host everybody all the way through. That's what winning 107 games will do for you. But there are no guarantees. I love postseason baseball. I love that we had trauma to the end. Uh, I was There was potentially more chaos in the American League for, for four teams to be playing today. We didn't get that. But we had some good baseball played this season, this year. I thought it was a good baseball season. All the people that hit over 40 home runs. Uh, the average is that, that's... The way baseball is now, and I'd like to see that change a little bit where it's homer or nothing, which isn't entirely true for all the teams that are in the postseason. Some teams do play, I say small ball. That's not really a factor, but put the ball in play, move runners um, or action right between first and second. Like They get get runners moving. This is going to be the way the playoffs have been, though, the last couple years. It's get ready for the bullpens. That's what it is. And, cause, and I know I've, I've talked about this in fear for the Giants going, well, if you face the Dodgers and you can go Scherzer and Bueller and potentially Kershaw, who now is banged up, can the Giants handle that? It's the bullpen. I mean, watch what the Rays will do when they get going here. They lost Glasnow during the season. They lost Snell in the offseason. And here they are winning another 100 games. They're going to shorten that game up. I say shorten it, get as many innings as they can from their starter or opener, and then get it to that lights-out bullpen. Bullpens will be the deciding factor, I believe, in this baseball postseason. And the Giants have a good bullpen. And they've got starters that could give them innings. But why I like the Giants and why this year has been so good is they can beat you in a lot of different ways. They can win a game one nothing. They can win a game 8-6. They can win a game with their defense. Advancing the ball. Obviously, they hit a ton of home runs. They've got an old lineup. Hey, heaven forbid. Old guys. 
They have one of the oldest lineups in baseball, if not the oldest. And here they are winning 107 games. I think the postseason's going to be awesome. The setup, Dodgers and the Cardinals. Winner gets the Giants. Braves and Brewers are in in the other series. In the American League, you know, it's the Yankees and Red Sox. How about that for one game at Fenway with the winner getting Tampa Bay? So it's a little bit like if the Dodgers win, getting the Giants. Well, if the Yankees or Red Sox win, you get the Rays, a team you face a lot in your own division. And then the White Sox and the Astros. And, you know, the Astros having to face a season of booze and getting, you know, trash cans and all that. Well, here's Dusty Baker leading his fifth team into the postseason. I think baseball's got some great storylines, and we'll talk about those as uh, the show rolls along as well. Let's get you some more First Things First. First Things First. First Things First. All right, the Mets have decided to part ways with Luis Rojas after two seasons. Here's where expectations uh, didn't meet the reality of what the team had. Uh, the Mets went 77-85. and 85. Part of the Mets' problem this year was injuries. And that's not um, a way to, to save a manager sometimes, but Noah Syndergaard didn't come back until the very end of the season. Jacob deGrom, who was having an unreal season, was out for the back half of the year. And this was a team that was in and leading the National League East for a while. Then Atlanta got hot. Philly kind of got back in the race. And the Mets just fizzled. Eight games below 500, finished 11 and a half back. On a division which Atlanta won 88 games. That division was very winnable. Atlanta lost Acuna early and other players to this team. And I think Atlanta's just okay. I really think they're just okay. I could see the Brewers having... A nice time with the Atlanta Braves coming up in that series. But Atlanta won it with 88 games. The Cardinals would have won the division. They're a wild card team. For a while, I would have thought the Padres could have won that many games. Um, but you had a situation where the Padres fizzled. That's just that, that division was open. It was for the taking, and the Mets could have been that team. Well, they're not, and they're out. And uh, today they say they're going to part ways with Luis Rojas after two seasons. I think that's a good job to get, though. I know it's in New York. It's a tough place to manage. But I think there's some pieces there. Getting Lindor in the offseason, going for bias. Like, they went for it. And so they went for it, and they fell apart. I think they've got the pitching when they get everybody healthy, or some pitching, some really good pitching. So look for that position to be one that's coveted uh, in Major League Baseball circles to manage the Mets. All right, let's get you one final thing in First Things First. First Things First. First Things First. All right, time for the weekend roundup. We're going to go back to Saturday and college football. There were some good games amongst the top 25. Um, a lot of eyes were on Alabama and, of course, the Tide. Yeah, they rolled. They rolled again as they got the win. I know on Wednesday when we'll talk to Chris Landry, game he was really excited about was Alabama and Ole Miss. Well, Alabama doubled them up, won 42-21. I think the team to watch right now in college football is uh, these guys, the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia will make the tackle right there on the 15 with Javon Bullard, and that's the last play of the ball game. Dogs preserve the shutout and defeat Arkansas 37 to nothing. All right, so the last two weeks, Georgia has played Vanderbilt and won 62 nothing. Okay, well, it's Vanderbilt. That's fine. Fair enough. Who else are you going to play? Well, remember, they beat Clemson to open the year, right? 10 to 3. Clemson at the time was ranked third and has been. One of the best teams in college football the last couple of years. So they hold Georgia, hold Clemson to three. They beat UAB 56-7, to take out South Carolina 40-13. to Here's the last two weeks. We mentioned 62-0 on Vanderbilt. And this last week, Arkansas was ranked eighth. 
whether or not that ranking was too high or not, 37 to nothing. This team, the last two weeks, 99 to nothing. Their defense is amazing. There's so many NFL picks on that defense. So watch out for them. They are stacked. They are loaded. They got another tough one coming up this week when they get number 18, Auburn. They're going to have 16th-ranked Kentucky on the future, Florida, who's ranked. Um, they'll get Tennessee, and then likely you know, we'll see them play Alabama, I believe, in the SEC championship. But that could be a situation where both teams are undefeated and the loser's not knocked out because I could see these two teams right now, after watching the first four or five weeks of college football, I think the two best teams are Alabama and Georgia, and I don't really think there's much of a debate. I think after that is where the debate starts, and a lot of people already put a team like Oregon in there. Well, it's the Pac-12, and this happens Saturday to the Ducks. Fourth and eight from the 23. Snap, three-man rush. Brown rolling to his right. Chase by Gabe Reed. Throws, and it is incomplete. Out of bounds. Stanford is knocked off number three, Oregon. What a win. Hats off to the Cardinal. Yep, Stanford gets the win. Their third of the year. Oregon drops to four and one. It was overtime. Stanford got the win. And, yeah, I'm going to defend the Pac-12, and I know a lot of people out there will continue to say it's not very good. I look at it the other way, and maybe this is is – an unfair way to look at it, but I just think the conference beats up each other all the time, beats each other up. That's what ultimately happens. Uh, remember when people were, when did Clay Helton get fired after Stanford crushed USC? So they got rid of Clay Helton. Well, since then, SC has got a couple wins and a loss, though, where they lost handily to Oregon State. And people thought, man, SC, what's wrong with them? Losing to Oregon State, losing to Stanford. Well, Oregon State, meanwhile, has won their next couple of games. They won four in a row. They're four and one. Uh, Stanford now has wins over Oregon and SC. That's a really good win resume. Then people said, okay, let's look at the South. Maybe UCLA is the team to beat. I was like, mm, I, I want them to be the team to beat. Here comes Arizona State into the Rose Bowl and beats them. The conference will beat each other up and will continue to do it unless they truly have an elite team, and I don't think they do. I think they got a lot of good teams, teams that could beat other teams in other conferences, but on a week-to-week basis, it's hard to go to Washington State and win. Oregon State, Stanford, uh, ASU. Right now, I think the one team that's down the most is probably a team like Arizona. But Cal can beat teams. Um, Washington was highly ranked early. They've kind of disappointed. The league is good. And I think when you get into, like, the bottom of some of these other conferences, the SEC, like the bottom. Top of the SEC is good. Bottom, I don't know. I think the Pac-12 has good depth and good length to the conference. And that's what happens most every year. Unless you have, like, those legendary USC teams, a few of those Oregon teams, someone's going to get caught. And it's happened already. And I think the conference is going to have a hard time getting a representative unless someone like Oregon can go the rest of the way. And, and people even looked at, you know, UCLA's loss before this weekend to Arizona State to Fresno State and wonder, oh, how do they lose to Fresno State? Well, Oregon almost did. And then Fresno State loses to Hawaii. It's crazy. It's a crazy year. I think the two teams to look at right now, without a doubt, are Georgia and Alabama. Someone else will get in the pool. We'll see ultimately how that goes. Uh, Locally, Sacramento State had the weekend off, and UC Davis stayed perfect. They rallied, came back, and beat Idaho, so their perfect season continues. All right, so we're just getting started here. We're at Golden One Center. Tonight it's Kings in preseason basketball. The Kings will be taking on the Phoenix Suns. We'll have more on that with Jason Jones when he joins us at 5. When we come back... We will talk about the 49ers and how much trouble are they in. They're 2-2. Two and two. 
They have injuries everywhere. And if they play without Jimmy Garoppolo for a few weeks, how many more wins can we see this team have? And is Trey Lance ready to go? We will talk about those uh, questions and answers. We have them next here on KHDK. Pistol, short shotgun to the back behind Lance. He rides the mesh point, going to pull it now and throw down the right sideline, wide open, Debo Samuel. He catches it 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Sam. Francisco! Debo Samuel getting the party started for Trey Lance. Yeah, the party ended quickly after that, though. Greg Poppa, Tim Ryan on the call there from the 49ers Radio Network. Tough day. Tough day for San Francisco in many ways. Um, it, I would say it started right before the game when apparently Coach Shanahan said afterwards that they found out, basically coming out of the tunnel, that... Robbie Gold had a groin issue and may not be able to kick. And you think, okay, well, it's just the kicker, just the kicker, right? Well, maybe people value the kickers a little bit more when you see what happened after Robbie Gould wasn't able to kick. Janowski's a great punter. Uh, He was put in a spot where they tried a field goal when they were up 7-0, missed that. Actually, after that long touchdown, uh, PAT was missed there as well. And the 49ers... If you missed the part at the beginning of the show where I was talking about why I think they lost yesterday, it was the beginning of the game. You can't hold Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, who looked absolutely clueless for five series. And I say clueless. That's not even fair. I thought the Niners' defense was tremendous. They were all over the place, making plays, getting to Russell Wilson, keeping him in the pocket, sacking him, bothering him, hurrying him, getting the Seahawks off the field, getting the ball back to Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners' offense. Five series, three and out? That's incredible work by the defense. But what was the score at the half? The Niners just 7-7, right? I mean, they they couldn't get the separation that they probably should have had. Yes, they missed the one field goal. But there were opportunities to control that game offensively because your defense was giving you every opportunity to do so. And the Niners scored pretty early in the game after a three and out and and scored. And you're feeling, okay, this is exactly the way you you start a game. And they had a nice drive. Touchdown pass from Jimmy to, who was that, Dwelly? Yeah, Dwelly caught the touchdown. So 7-0, and now your defense is, you know, it's like a pitcher or an offense that gets a couple runs, and then the pitcher gives the runs back. It's like, oh, man, no. Put a zero on that next inning and see if your offense can keep adding on. Well, the 49ers got their score, led 7-0, and they couldn't add on. They missed the field goal in there, but still there were other series, five total series, where Seattle's doing nothing, absolutely nothing offensively, and the 49ers uh, couldn't do much there. And then I just think all game long we saw more, much more, of Trey Sermon. This is the best he's run, especially early. He was running the ball well and effectively, taking all the pressure off of the entirety of the offense. You had Kittle get more catches and more of an impact, also getting banged up in the game. But I thought they were spreading the wealth the right way. There were moments that this game should have been a much larger lead, and it wasn't. And then comes the the hard part, the injuries, which has already happened to this team. And part of the reason why they got Trey Lance was because of Jimmy G's injury history, but also because of his contract, where it is. And I think ultimately the Niners – 
want to upgrade from Jimmy G. The upgrade's not here yet. I mean, Trey Lance is the upgrade. He's not ready to to go. He's just not. Now he's going to be forced to because of the injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, who was he was okay, missed a couple throws yesterday. But that coaching staff, that organization, feels their best chance with this roster to win is with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, your safety net's much better than it's been, right? The, the backups they've had to go to in the past couple of years didn't give the Niners chances to win in Beathard and Mullins. They just didn't. So, Trey Lance, it's your time. While Jimmy G is out, here's Jimmy G uh, frustrated after the game. It's just tough, man. I don't know. Been in this situation too many times, and it's getting real old. You know, so it's just one of those things that uh, part of the business, though. I feel for him. I, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good teammate. I, I think I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You are as good as your options. Some of these other teams, the Jets, Jacksonville, they're playing the rookies. They have to, and they want to. The Niners don't want to play Trey Lance with the exception of what we've seen him being utilized so far in fourth and short goal line packages because you want to get him the reps so that when it is his time, at least he's taken some snaps. He's been in some live action. He's been hit um, in a controlled situation, right? You're protecting him. There's been too many situations in the history of the NFL where there have been quarterbacks who have been drafted high, and they say, go get it, kid. You're our franchise. Good luck. And if you don't have a line to protect him, if you don't have skilled players to enhance their abilities, it's not going to work short-term, and maybe it won't work long-term because what kind of damage have you done in the mental part of the game? Now, I think Trey Lance has the right approach. He's got a really good mix of confidence and belief, self-belief. I guess that's confidence, but it's self-belief without too much of an ego that rubs you the wrong way. I don't think he thinks he should be the starter right now. And I think he's comfortable and a good teammate with Jimmy G and just trying to soak it all in and learning as much as he possibly can about this offense, about the game, about the defensive looks that teams are bringing him. Well, he's going to have to learn even quicker. And sometimes you learn best thrown into the fire. But we've seen players not be able to handle it, and it derails their career. So the crossroads now is Trey Lance, for however long Jimmy G's out. Hopefully it's not long. Hopefully there's a quick recovery, but it didn't seem like a major injury, but a nagging one that obviously affected him from planting, stepping through his throws, and he had to come out. So the playbook, generally what Kyle Shanahan would want and why they wanted a guy like Trey Lance is that playbook could even be larger. He says it and said it before where – if you can make football 11 on 11, you have an advantage offensively. And what he means by that, if you have a quarterback that just doesn't move, it's basically 11, 10 on 11 because the quarterback is not going to run and is throwing the ball to the available you know, targets that he has, tight end, running backs, receivers. Linemen are blocking for you. If you have to have the defense keep an eye on, at least with one or two players on your quarterback, you've changed the game. You flipped it into – because it's easier to get open than to be covered. So can you get your offense in the timing and and on time, on target with throws, right? No matter what kind of separation you have. If you can do that, your offense can thrive. So that's ultimately where the Niners want to get to is Trey Lance with the experience, with the knowledge of the league, 
with the knowledge of the game and the timing, the rhythm of his receivers in what they're calling and even the ability to audible. Here's a, here's a good case in point in the game. So yesterday, let me think what time of the game it was because Russell Wilson's seen it all, right? He's been through the battles. It's feeling like the Seahawks are going to win. They've, they've captured the lead. They feel good. Jimmy G is out. Trey Lance has, has made the play, the long pass we just heard to Debo Samuel. But still the, the lead is 21-13. Yeah, here it is. It's fourth quarter. Made a note of this. And the Seahawks are driving, basically feeling like a spot, about 10, 12 minutes left, where they're going to ice the game. And Russell Wilson is under center. He's surveying. He's surveying. He's got a play that is called in. And then the, whatever the look the Niners gave him, he quickly gets to the line of scrimmage and he audibles. And it's like, okay, we've all seen that. What's the big deal? Well, sometimes you audible to the perfect play, and that's exactly what he did. He changed what looked like to be a passing formation. Now everything was tight. They shifted to the outside. I, I think he wanted to throw, but then the look he shifted to was moved everybody to the outside or a couple guys to the outside, broadened the formation, the line of scrimmage, and he audibled into a run. And that's the run that Collins – ran for, what was that, 16, 14, 15 yards, somewhere in that range. And basically navigated his way through the entire Niner defense without really getting touched. I mean, they were around him, but it looked like a great run. And my takeaway was that was a great audible. And that's a quarterback that's been in the battles, that's comfortable, and says, nope, this play's not going to work based on what I'm looking at. I'm going to change to this. And that's when you get to the position of – matching your knowledge of the game with Russell Wilson's ability. And his ability is fantastic. And Trey Lance's ability is going to be fantastic. It's he's got to match that with the experience. He did not play that much college football. So now you're looking at the best coordinators in the league, and they're not all perfect, but the people that are going to be out there trying to confuse you. And when you haven't seen it and you think, oh, this is the exact pre-snap, this is what Seattle's running. And then snap comes in, wait a minute. I thought they were in cover two, or I thought this was a zone. I thought they were doing this. I read the blitz for coming from the corner, and they didn't blitz. Well, now you've seen that, but you have to go through it live. And that's where it just looked like he was working fast. You hear athletes say that all the time. Game is slowing down for me. Has it slowed down for him yet? It will. He's not there yet. But you know what? Now he's going to be thrown in because the latest on Jimmy G is going to be reevaluated in a couple days. And... I think officially they called it a right calf injury, right calf contusion. Those things are nagging. It's certainly bothering him. He is certainly frustrated. And now all of a sudden with a 2-2 two and two record in Arizona, the next game at 4-0, be a huge win for the 49ers if they can get it. But if you drop that one and now you're 2-3 and three with a couple of division losses, a lot of season left, but a lot of work to be done. So tough, tough spot for the 49ers. So many early season injuries. And at very, very important positions. Last year, that's what derailed them. And they still won six games last year, even with all the stuff that happened. They still got a lot of good players out there. But they need to get healthy. And uh, best of luck to Trey Lance if he's given that call. I'm excited to see what he can do. But my expectations are going to be different of him as he goes through these battles than they are right away. So we shall see. All right, big Monday night game tonight coming up, besides the one that's going up here in the preseason at Golden One Center. We're coming to you from... G1C, where it's the Kings and the Suns. When we come back, the Raiders, can they stay undefeated and join the Cardinals as they get the Chargers? We'll talk about some of the keys for tonight. We'll hear from John Gruden. We will hear from Derek Carr as well, who's playing as good as anybody in the National Football League. We'll do that when we come back here on KHTK. Baby, baby. 
Jason Ross back here at Golden One Center. Tonight it's the Kings and the Phoenix Suns in the first preseason game of four. The Kings will have two at home, two on the road. G-Man will have the call as always, and you can get every game right here on Sports 1140 KHDK. I heard in that break, too, as well, uh, talk about the Eagles coming to Golden One Center. We will have later in the show, around 4.50, your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Eagles on October 12th. Uh, that's coming up at Golden One Center. So for tickets and more information, visit khdk.com. But that's coming up about an hour or so from now. Also coming up at 5, we'll visit with Jason Jones, talk a little bit more about this Kings team getting ready to start their 2021-2022 season. Also coming up tonight, it's Monday Night Football. Normally we would have it, but we have Kings basketball tonight. We do want to remind you yet again, the Raiders are going to be on KYMX HD2. That's 96.1 HD2 to hear Brent Musburger and Lincoln Kennedy tonight. And what an opportunity for the Raiders. Uh, This team has been a pleasant surprise. Defensively, they've been better. Offensively, they're playing at a great level. Tonight, uh, I think the latest I saw was that it's upgraded to questionable for Josh Jacobs. So he had a couple of touchdowns the first week, hasn't been able to play the last couple of weeks. If they can get him going to truly that other running back weapon that he's been at times in his career. And I don't know if the Raiders are ever going to be fully comfortable with him being the, you know, 25 to 30 carry running back. But now that they've got Barber in there um, and even Kenyon Drake, who they added in the offseason, if they could have a nice balanced attack with maybe uh, a situation where you have Jacobs being the primary runner and then spreading it out to the receivers, all of a sudden it feels like Edwards and Renfro to go with Waller and Ruggs. They've got some talent there. They've got a good kicker in Carlson. The offense is good, and the defense just has to keep Keep going, keep plugging, keep getting better, and keep them from having huge numbers on the other end. But you feel like the Raiders are going to live in that 20-point, 24, 27, 28, even 30-point range, and that gives them a chance a lot of weeks. So this is a really good tone-setting type of game for the Raiders. Being in L.A., that'll be interesting just to see the crowd. We're going to hear Carr talk about that in a moment. Let's start with John Gruden about the quarterback battle, but his case where he's going to try to slow down Justin Herbert. Quarterback's a great player. He's really something else to watch. He can throw. He can run. He's smart. He makes good decisions. And they have a creative scheme. So it'll be a challenge for us, no doubt, a, a big-time challenge. It's hard to just unleash the rush on this guy because they allow him to scramble. He will scramble, and he will hurt you bad. So if you don't protect the pocket and you have a lot of coverage down the field against Williams and Keenan and all their weapons, this guy will put the ball down. It'll really hurt you bad running. We got hurt last week with some scramble plays. So we got to really be careful, you know, with our rush. We got to do a great job containing him first, getting to him second, and getting him on the ground third, which is not easy to do. This is a big, strong, young, tough quarterback. What's great about this one is the quarterback play because you just heard John Gruden talking about Herbert. And what's been successful for both of these teams is these quarterbacks late in games. Carr, how many times has he had to lead? the Raiders back to tie or to take a lead so far this season. He's done it just about every week. And he's been so good, so consistent, and really feels comfortable with what the Raiders are doing. And when they're down, you got to feel good that, okay, Carr's got a chance. He'll lead them down the field. He did it with Miami game, did it with the Ravens multiple times. And same with Justin Herbert. He's had to lead teams down into game-winning drives. So the quarterback play tonight, I just think it's, it's a great matchup. There's others around the league that you always kind of talk about and want to see Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes or even last night, Brady. But Carr is, is really, really getting full grasp of, of his game and this offense and fully comfortable and using all of his weapons. And then Herbert, 
has lived up to what he did his his first year and has backed it up with a really strong start here to number two, year number two, and the Chargers have to feel really good about the guy they have now. So I, I think that's going to be fun. The other part I kind of mentioned it earlier is this game being played in L.A. And I feel like the connection the Rams have had with that community, even though they left, is back and probably more solidified than the Chargers. It's just a strange situation for the Chargers to be in. They have don't have to apologize for that, but that's the spot they're in. That's their home. And let's hear Carr talk about kind of the Raiders and Chargers playing in L.A. with all the Raider fans. In my past, whether it was in Los Angeles at that soccer stadium or in Qualcomm in San Diego, it was another home game. We always, like you always looked at it as another home game, and that's no disrespect, it's just a fact, you know. And, you know, the way you practice, the way you meet, you know, like it felt like a home game. Uh, I, I fully expect Raider Nation to take over the majority of the stadium again they usually do they do they have before and you know I know there was accounts of the Chargers first home game in front of fans a couple of weeks ago against the Cowboys um, had the Cowboys fans outnumbering the Charger fans and the Chargers have experienced this that's that's happened to them a lot and I think it's going to happen again tonight I think when you're watching that game or listening to it when there's a positive play made by the Raiders, you're going to hear a lot of noise there. And I don't know what that's like for the home team to not feel um, the complete love when you're in your building. I don't know if it feels like truly a road game. I don't think that's the case because they do have fans there. But this is the one, to me, of all the moves that have happened in sports that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And is it really their building? Well, they share it. Yeah, but it's not theirs. Well, but, I mean, that's their, that's where they play home games, right? Yeah, but, I mean, come on. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's like it's their stadium. They should expect their fans to be cheering. I mean, right. it's not really their stadium. They, well, and they, and they won't have that, and they I don't know if that will ever change for them. I don't know what, what it would take. What's bad is I think if, say, it was reversed to where they went to Vegas and yes. the Raiders were in L.A., I think the same thing would be happening in Vegas. Yes, but I think that – yes, I agree with that, but I think that's the move that made the most sense to me, just logically. I mean, you have the Raiders and Rams together. Okay, we've seen that. We've lived that. I think that L.A. would be fine with that. In Vegas, I mean, the Chargers, true home was San Diego. I think they felt good there. They liked it there, and they just couldn't get anything worked out. If they went to Vegas, that would be a new team, a new entity. But you're probably right. And I think the Raiders have experienced that a little bit too. They've had more fans in Vegas than the opposing team, but there were Dolphin fans there. And I think some Ravens fans, but certainly there were Dolphin fans. Uh, that's a traditional big fan base. So this is a weird setup. We'll see how it goes tonight for the Raiders. But what an opportunity if they can win. They're already at 3-0. First time they've done that since 2002. If they can get to 4-0 and get a win over the Chargers, putting them back to 500. You got the Chiefs with a couple of losses. So the Raiders would be in excellent position four games through the season. All right. Now, when we come back, who had the best weekend in the NFL? The worst weekend in the NFL well, yeah, we're talking about you, Urban Meyer, and others. We'll highlight the best and the worst of the NFL when we return right here on Sports 1140 KHDK.